1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to
0: episode number 88 of Task
1: Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis. I want to emphasize that all the opinions expressed in the show are my own, I'm not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to a result of my current employment. And I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security claims that I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I will remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show, you get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub at csHub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at csHub.com. So we got another amazing show last week with Kate Fizzini. Her appearance on the, on the last two episodes really, really gave us a big boost of, you know, trending yet another record month this month. So we would have back the back record ones, and I don't want to get ahead of myself or anything because just we're just halfway through the month, but the, the numbers just came in today, and they show that we're doing very, very well, and if we keep pace and we keep on track with what we've done in the first two weeks, we're going to set another record. That'd be two months in a row as our listenership just continues to grow, and uh, I'm very, very grateful, and I'm really super excited about this, right? So last week, Kate spoke about what she thinks is the biggest problem In cybersecurity right now and that's a question also I'll be asking tonight's guest as well by the way and I was able to ask Kate some very interesting questions about why she became a reporter how her time in the field helps her with her investigative reporting responsibilities at CNBC and and what kind of crazy stories people try to sell her in the cybersecurity industry which was really fascinating to listen to it's all very cool stuff that you, you won't really hear anywhere else and of course we spoke about the talent crisis and how we can better educate our workforce and help prevent uh, losing people all the time. We have better retention policies, how to pivot and get people to pivot into, certain, into cybersecurity, what we need to do to, to train our workforce better. And we also spoke about what motivated her to write her new book, Kingdom of Lies, which is uh, really it's a great read. And if, and if you haven't picked it up yet, I highly recommend you do. So all great stuff last week. If you haven't heard it yet, if you haven't heard last week's episode, I highly suggest you listen to it. Uh, you can get all this and much, much more. We went over a lot of things last week, actually the last two episodes uh, with, with Kate Fazzini. That's Kate Fazzini, CNBC cybersecurity reporter on last week's episode. That's episode number 87 of Task Force 7 Radio. So, if you're listening to us right now on Voice America, or maybe just someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback. Well, you can just go to our new TF7 radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the home page, and you'll find all the TF7 radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is a very impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio. And you can even write comments on the different news articles and topics and keep in touch with the TF7 family, which is always a lot of fun. So we're on at least 11, 11 different playback mediums right now. So we make it easy for you to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you'll see the entire selection of playback mediums And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 radio website, which is really the best way to go to stay connected to the TF7 family. This way, you'll get all the TF7 radio updates right from the site. And as the site gets more robust, you'll get notified about TF7 extras and encore episodes, which I think we're going to announce one this week. And uh, and also, you'll get other TF7 news and events and other information on the upcoming TF7 network, too. So... That's always cool. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we got a special treat for everyone this evening. We have none other than Julian Waits coming on the show with us tonight. So Julian's a personal friend of mine, someone that I look up to. Uh, I've known him for a long time. Uh, I look up to him as a mentor and also as a leader in the cybersecurity industry. He's had a fantastic career. It's really amazing to hear some of the things he's done, uh, some of the experiences he's had, some of the successes he's had. He's very honest about uh, some of the failures that he's gone through and how he's learned from them and how we can learn from them. So that's always very interesting to to hear. And we are very lucky to have someone like him on the show. I've been chasing him for a while. He's uh, pretty hard to track down. He's a really busy guy, but we got him on the show tonight. So a little bit about Julian. He's currently the GM of the cyber business unit at Devo, and he has over 30 years of experience in technology-based companies. He's been a software developer, a field systems engineer. He's been an m and director. He's also been a sales vice, uh, vice president. And he's also been the CEO of companies like SAFE, uh, Pivot Point Risk Analytics, Threat Track Security and way to market 360. Nothing short of an incredible career. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to welcome my good friend, Julian Waits, to the show. Julian, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio.
2: George, thank you so much. It's great to be on the show today. Hey,
1: I'm, I'm really glad you're here. I know you're a busy guy, you're flying around the world, solving our cybersecurity problems. But, and I wanna ask you right out of the gate, whenever I have someone like you that, that has the experience that you have and, and the diversity of the depth of knowledge in the cybersecurity space, I want to ask, what do you think is the single biggest problem in corporate cybersecurity right now that we're seeing?
2: <laughs> well, it's, for me, that one's pretty simple, George. It's people, meaning uh, you know, the way that the Internet has evolved from over time, we've gone from mainframes to you know everything being available on our endpoint devices, where it's, whether it's our iPhone or Android or, or our laptop, uh, the issue becomes being compromised is is a you know it's, it's just a reality that's gonna happen. And with so much data rushing into your network, there's not enough programs, applications to keep up with it. So the only thing you can have to deploy against this is people. And there's just not enough people in the industry, certainly not on the side of where we're fighting the attackers, you know?
1: Right, right. I mean do you think you know the uh, the talent shortage is going to continue into the foreseeable future. Here, you think we're going to gain some um, gain some space here in the in the talent gap?
2: Well, you know the the way I see it, George, is is until we as as a nation or as a populace really take this seriously, I think there will be a shortage because the shortage doesn't exist because there aren't talented people out there. Uh, the shortage exists because there's a lack of awareness. As you know, I'm also in an organization. The chairman of an organization called uh, ICMCP uh, that works with primarily with women and people of color to give them awareness and training and educate them to come into uh, cybersecurity. And most times, most people just they they either think it's too difficult. I need to know how to need to learn programming languages. And they don't understand that so much of it just begins with visualization and being able to look at things on a screen and knowing something's something is normal and not normal. It's amazing to me, actually.
1: So I was just talking to Kate Fazzini last week about this. And she's a CNBC cybersecurity reporter. And I came up that this topic came up about women in cybersecurity. And we said, uh, I think, you know, several months ago, the, the quote that came out was about 11 percent of the industry in cybersecurity was made up of women. And recently, I saw statistics come out, and I, I should be able to quote the source from this. And again, I forget because I... Um, I think
2: it was ISC squared, but it, it okay, keep going. Okay.
1: Maybe that's it. Now it says that there's 23% women in, in cybersecurity. Do you, do you believe that we were able to double the amount of women in the cybersecurity space globally?
2: No. So, so I, think that, I think the 11% number is more correct because uh, uh, our organization was involved with doing that study. And uh, and no, and, th- and th- of course, what happens is is they conflate it. If you look at the number of women in IT as a whole, it probably is in the uh, the low twenties. You know, right, right. but if you if you single out uh, information security, cybersecurity, I mean you, you, I mean you're a practitioner. You've been in this industry for a yeah. long time. You go to the trade shows. There's not a lot of women there. <laughs> no,
3: there's
2: not. Uh, and you go sit in into, the sit into meetings when, when somebody's had a breach and you're trying to figure out what the response, appropriate incident response is. There's not a lot of women there. And so, so it's, I believe the 11% number is correct. And, again, it's the, it's the same stigma where, you know, it's like when my daughter was young, uh, you know, she had one teacher that would tell her that, you know, girls aren't supposed to be good at math. You know, they're supposed to be able to do other things, more domestic-oriented things or, or other careers, like accounting or something. And she'd come home and I'd go, don't listen to that silliness. And, uh, and cybersecurity is, again, one of those disciplines where there's, like, this cloud over it where everybody thinks it's so difficult and so complicated, I could never do that. Yet I've seen in our organization people who were English majors in college, who are now CISOs in major organizations and, and are thriving and educating others to follow them. So, until we change our attitude, it's not, the problem's not gonna get you know, any better.
1: Let's switch gears here for a second. You work in the, in the operations space, in the cybersecurity operations space, and I'm always talking about agility and speed on this show as two of the key factors of success that you need to defend your organization. Let's talk about speed. How important is speed in a security operation in your mind? This is your business. This is what you do.
2: It's, it's critical. It's, you know, it's not how important is it. You know the stats. It takes seconds to be compromised and it can take months, a year or more to to find out uh, how material that compromise is to your business. And so you have gotta be able to move in seconds. Um, so many disciplines in cybersecurity have been created around this. But it's about visualization and speed. Without speed, you're lost because the, the longer that something exists in your network undetected, the more material it becomes. And you know those three, three critical things, right? It's, it's your reputation. It's your business. Uh, from an interruption perspective, it's everything. Speed is everything in the hunt.
1: So let's talk about insider threat operations a little bit. I think the insider threat is probably one of the top material risk of any firm out there, um, probably across the industry. It's probably commonplace, I think, when you look at the top 10 material risk, maybe at least in the top five, if not in the top three, with uh, probably third-party risk and probably uh, patching uh, operations and things like that. Um, yep. What? Where does that belong in the whole operations space? So there's a debate going on right now should it be its own standalone team or should it be integrated into the SOC? And you know how politics play into it uh, in these well, organizations, right?
2: I do. I, it's, it's actually silly to me. Uh, you know, it's, it's like when people come to me and go, hey, Julian, we're working on corporate strategy. Who should own that? It's a team exercise is what the response is. Insider threat should be a team exercise because, you know, what's the nature of the insider threat? Uh, most employees come to work every day wanting to do the right thing, support their businesses, uh, and, and and help the company grow and, and, and take care of themselves in the process. And, you know, sometimes inside a threat is not even the employee realizing that they created a threat. They made a mistake. They clicked something that they shouldn't have, and all of a sudden now their identity has been hijacked by a set of attackers. And so if, it, if you don't have the SOC and other components of the organization's even HR for that matter, right? Participating in the process, you lose and the, and the bad guys win. So I think it absolutely has to be a component of a security operations center. Silly to think of it, if, if, the, if your security operations center is your centralized area for where all of your events are coming in, uh, not having insider threat as a component of the things that the SOC is monitoring and attempting to go after is, is crazy. At the same time, other organizations like human resources and others have to participate in that process because uh, inside a threat, like I said, it becomes, very, it becomes very complicated because when is it no longer inside a threat and an outside attacker that's, that's hijacked an identity uh, in the enterprise?
1: Right. I think this becomes a very, uh, it can become a very convoluted conversation um, if you start to think about the fact that. Who, the people that are doing the analytics and, and analyzing the alerts and triaging the alerts around an insider threat are actually dealing with employee issues. And typically, you know, the lawyers inside the organization don't want, you know, screens that depict employee behavior uh, and, and people who are analyzing employee behavior to be in a more uh, centralized place like a SOC. So do you think we should take some people out of the SOC, maybe one or two, put them in a central place? Uh, Insider Threat Operations Team, Insider Threat Fusion Center, a very small, uh, I guess, uh, a small operation compared to the SOC, of course, or the, the Fusion Center, right? But a separate entity to make sure that from a privacy perspective, employees' rights are, are respected. And then you can have that reach model you're talking about, like, everybody's involved. Obviously, you have somebody in there for IAM, somebody in there from DLP, somebody in there from the SOC, and you can have other, you know, HR, whoever you want in that room. You know, analyzing these constant insider threat alerts. Or do you think it just we should just put it in the sock and you know and take advantage of that value for scale that we have in there?
2: Well, so I think there are two sides of this. Privacy is very important to me. However, remember in most organizations you work for, uh, one of the things you sign on sign up for not knowing it when you join is you really have no privacy, at least not as it relates to corporate information and corporate assets. With that said. I wouldn't want to work for a company where I felt like uh, data about my behavior, uh, especially when those behaviors or good behaviors uh, could potentially be used in a way or seen in a way to depict me in a negative way when I'm, when I'm just doing the things that I'm supposed to do. So if, if, you, if you say if, I'm, if I have a, a group of people, maybe they even report into the SOC, but, but they're compartmentalized where there's certain types of data that they're, that they're dealing with. Uh, that does deal with privacy issues, I would agree with that. Uh, but, but then, you know, George, the issue becomes, ultimately, with all the network defenses we can bring to play, the, the only really way I think you catch insider threat, at least from an analytics perspective, is the more data you have in one place that you can run analytics against, whether those models, rules, whatever you want to call it, is how you win the game and because you know if firewalls vpns you know you name the whole defensive depth strategy strategy that you can have most of the threats that occur through through insiders or compromised insiders occur in ways that traditional security defenses just don't work and so you know the soc and that scale still has to be involved in some way or or there is a lot of stuff i think you're just going to miss so
1: Data, data, everywhere you look, is data, right? It's just more and more of it. And people don't even know what kind of data they even have access to a lot of times when they're dealing with their internal business intelligence. So is more data always better when it comes to predictive analytics?
2: Um, no. <laughs> and, 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 and being with a company that makes money off of more data, I have to say the answer to it is no. You know, what, what bothers me the most, George, is... To your point, there's there's imminent amounts of data, infinite amount of data I should say, in environments, but people need to start with what are the assets, what are the what are they, what are the things within our environment and about our people that's most important to my business? Uh, if I know that I can't stop a breach from occurring, I mean it's it's it happens, right? Your your endpoint actually detects something. Uh, your your network security, you know. Uh, tools actually detect something that's the rarity today i mean most stuff you know still finds its way in somehow and so the question then becomes what's the stuff that's most important to me if i'm a retailer man that pos database the, the that that personally identifiable information about my customers their credit card information that's the thing that's most important and while there may be a hundred ways to get there how do i lock that down and the data about that stuff, if I'm a retailer, uh, is the most important data that I need to protect. And so if I'm going to double down on data, it's data associated with those assets and the end users who have privileges in those environments that could, that could cause a breach that allows all these records to get out into the wild on the dark web and being sold to people. And you know, like in my case, I was caught up in one of those, I was traveling on Malta for a month, I'll never forget this, I was a Wells Fargo customer there's no Wells Fargo banks in uh, Malta, if, you know, just to, for the record. And I get an email from Wells Fargo saying, hey, you've been compromised due to the Target breach. Even though I, I live in the, on the East Coast, somebody had just purchased three, you know, big screen televisions in L.A. <laughs> and they cut my, cut my ATM card off and my credit cards off. And next thing you know, I'm borrowing cash from a friend in Malta because I didn't have my credit card. And so um, – So I would tell you that more data, just for data's sake, is stupid in my mind. More data around the things that are critical to your business. Go for it.
1: So I think while people are setting up their cybersecurity operations, the the hunting function has emerged in several different forms. And I think uh, there's not really a clear... Uh, way, standard standard way, I should say, of going about this in corporate America right now. Everyone seems to be doing something different. How do you define threat hunting? And, and what do you think a properly built threat hunting operation looks like?
3: <laughs>
2: well, that's a question. Because <laughs> to your point, it's, it's highly inconsistent from one environment to the next. So I'll, I'll just give you Julian's opinion on this. So first, we've got to you know define what threat hunting is. Uh, I love when when I go to trade shows and speak on security panels and vendors claim to be, you know, threat hunting vendors. It's not a vendor. It's not a product. It is a freaking process. Threat hunting, why does it exist? The reason it exists is is because of the fact that we all know. The breaches will get in. It's not a question of whatever's been compromised. It's a question of how material is the compromise in my environment. And of course, materiality, is a major component of speed, as you discussed earlier. Um, you know, the faster I can find a breach, the, the hopefully, the better I am at minimizing its impact on my, on my business, on my customers, on my reputation, and so on. And so to me, threat hunting is a proactive uh, exercise to go after a reactive problem of cyber breaches. And the, the processes, to me, that, that are necessary for threat hunting Again, it should start with business impact analysis. Uh, while I want to catch every threat, I'm not going to catch every threat. There's not enough data. There's not enough speed. There's not enough people. I'm not going to catch every threat. So if I'm going to have one, I need to threat hunt with a purpose. What are those anomalous things that I'm looking for in my environment that impact, the, again, those assets, those applications, those people that are most important to my business? And so um, so threat hunting to me, is, it's, it, you're looking for anomalous behaviors uh, either by machine accounts. You know, again, if I, have a, if I have a dummy user address or administrative user address for, for critical databases in my environment that, that have critical data, I definitely want to look at those, look at activity by those identities in my environment and look for, you know, uh, weird things that are happening, anomalous things happening in my environment, and and threat hunting is a component of it. And it's and it's both people and it is applications participating together in the process. Matter of fact, I would tell you it's applications enabling people to do it properly.
1: I think that's the best definition and description of threat hunting that I've heard yet. And I and it, and it's you know that's really breaking it down, and I think it provides a lot of clarity for folks. So. It's good that we have the, uh, the rewind button here on the, on, the, on the radio show. People can go back and listen to that a few times. Because, Thanks for
2: saying that because yeah. it's, it's very different, as you know, man, from, from place to place.
1: It is. It is very different. And uh, but the way you described it there, I think, is really on point. And so uh, it's, it's, it's going to be educational for a lot of folks. we got to transition into a commercial break right now. But, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter. LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at TF7. That's the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months. For more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network, we're going to solve some problems together. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the GM of the Cyber Business Unit at Devo, Julian Waits. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
0: account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation many companies think they're protected they believe using a password manager multi-factor authentication behavior-based technology password rotations or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com.
3: and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security innovation.org or Google CINET, SINET.
0: You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our
1: special guest, the GM of the Cyber Business Unit at Devo. Julian Waits. So, Julian, we were talking about Devo uh, a little bit on the break. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and some of the exciting things that's going on over there at Devo.
2: Absolutely. So, Devo is a data analytic company. We, we focus both on, you know, the IT side of the equation, and, of course, my emphasis is IT security, cybersecurity. We, we, you know, Devo is focused on helping many of the largest corporations in the world Tackle this problem of visualization around what's going on in their environments. Uh, not again, not just from an IT perspective and IT operations, but definitely from a security operations. Our primary goal, my primary goal in the company, is to enable SOC analysts and security professionals to do their jobs faster. Um, when you look at Devo as compared to many of our competitors in this space, we're we're far faster. Uh, we're dealing with customers who, on average, have 20 terabytes a day or more of data ingest. Our largest customers are doing well over 150 terabytes of data a day or more. a uh, Key advantage that we provide, especially when you look at the discipline of threat hunting and other things that you may do in your environment, is our data is always hot. Based on uh, what we believe to be a groundbreaking uh, way of doing indexing, where well, we never have to re-index our entire database and our searches, you know, typically happen in a fraction of a time period that it does for our competitors, uh, there's no need to have this concept of cold storage. And, uh, you know, we give you data compression and generally of 10x or more over other technologies you might have in your environment. Why is that an advantage? Again, it, it takes seconds to be compromised, but it can take uh, typically months or a year or more to find out about these compromises and how material they are. If I can have all my data hot all the time, and I know that I can be breached today, but it might be seven months later that I I discover it. Well, a big reason for that is because the data that you have beyond two weeks, a month or three months goes off into cold storage, hardly ever gets truly used in the equation of looking at what happens today. Imagine a world where all that data is available to you all the time. And, and the amazing thing about our searching capabilities is we can search historical data as quickly as we're searching the data that we're ingesting in real time. And I think that, again, goes right after that whole speed concept to make things happen faster, to find those threats uh, before they become material in your environment, uh, to discover the attacker before they get what they really want.
1: So one of the other things that you've mentioned a few times in addition to speed is visualization. How important is it for an analyst to be able to visualize the data, to be able to process
2: it in real time? It's critical. So, you know, it's like being at war because and this is why we use so many, you know, war terms in the, in the cybersecurity fight is if, if you can't see what the enemy is doing, if you can't visualize all the vectors that they might try and use to compromise you, uh, well, it's, it's easy. You put it this way: you can't catch what you can't see. Bottom line, can't it Just it just can't be done. And so, being able to visualize large amounts of data in a way that you can consume it, such that it it, it it's working towards your advantage and not overwhelming you, is what's important. Because visualization in and of itself isn't good enough if the visualization doesn't isn't delivered to you, meaning a SOC analyst, in a way that allows you to consume it and make decisions quickly about what needs to happen in an environment.
1: Because it comes down to more than just reading it, right, or hearing it or listening to it or reading it. It's actually visualizing what's happening. And to be able to do that is not too easy to do. It's not easy to do. No, no it's not. And, and I think it, it, it does help. I think it does help in terms of being able to process the information quicker and retain it too. Right, retention is a big thing with visualization. I would imagine
2: it is. It absolutely is. Again, especially with when you're dealing with cyber threats, you know, there's there's many things that you can do from an IT perspective where historical data isn't as important. Uh, Obviously, running your business, it would be, especially if you're you're like an online business and you're trying to find trends in your business. But from the from the standpoint of cybersecurity, because you're always you. I mean, the definition of cybersecurity today is. I'm chasing an attack that occurred in the past, but was successful at breaching my environment. <laughs> right. That's, that's the definition. And so by that definition, historical data is critical. And being able to search that data, well, visualize the data and search the data from an analytical perspective is, you know, without that, you're, you're, it's like going into a fight with one hand tied behind your back.
1: How about prioritization? I mean, you know, I've had this conversation with a couple of friends, uh, this week at, at a dinner event, how important is it for a company to be able to combine their logic that comes with the tool with the suggested logic uh, that their analytical platform contains I guess so I guess i guess I, I want to say that a different way I want to say the logic that the, the company has everybody has a different even within the different departments, even within the different teams in information security, everybody has a different sort of prioritization scale, they use different terminology uh, the entire lexicon is different even sometimes, which they really have to get that aligned but thinking that they have that all in place and they have that all where it's supposed to be, how important it is for them to be able to have the flexibility to apply their prioritization logic with the logic that comes with the tool
2: I think it's critical so uh, whether it be threat feeds that you know most corporations now employ in the in their fight uh, from a cyber perspective and, and some companies now especially large banks and some large, very large retailers that I know of I make their own threat feeds now based on things they know about their environment, their data. Uh, and then there are the things that Devo brings, In the, in my case, speaking from a vendor, that we bring to the table as well. So no vendor from the outside will ever understand your business as well as you do, will ever understand what the real threats are to your business as well as you do, will ever understand the things from a business impact perspective that are most important to your business as you do. So it's absolutely critical that you find a way to prioritize the data that Devo or anybody else provides to you with the data that you know is most important from an environmental perspective from your business to let you go after the things that matter the most. Again, it still starts with that whole concept of business impact analysis. Just having more data, just knowing about more threats is useless if you don't understand what those threats are in a prioritized manner against the things about your business that matter the most.
1: So we're talking about speed. We're talking about visualization. We're talking about prioritization here. With all these attacks coming in, is it really feasible to achieve real-time identification mitigation of these cybersecurity threats? Is that really a viable option here?
2: For the ones that are the most simplest to find, yes. That's the, that's the issue, George. So people ask me all the time, you know, they're like, <laughs> I mean, as you saw what just happened with CrowdStrike this week uh, and, and other vendors in the space, they're like, man, does these companies are worth so much money. Do they really work? Does it really help? Well, why do people buy technologies like CrowdStrike's? They get them because they're hoping that CrowdStrike's built in enough intelligence that it can catch most things, but you know they understand, and even CrowdStrike understands this: that many things won't be caught initially, and that it's being able to analyze and 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 provide that data uh, on a historical basis to look for those anomalous patterns in the environment that allow you to go after it, right? And so, <laughs> when you look at scalability and and how that all falls into this equation. For the things that matter most, it's doubling down on the amount of data that you have. I, I have one customer right now where from an from a EDR perspective, they do just 20 terabytes. Well, not just. They do 20 terabytes a day of just EDR ingestion alone for their environment. Forget about everything else. Firewalls, VPNs, uh, all the other different technologies they'll have in their environment, network sensors just from their endpoint devices alone, 20 terabytes a day. So scalability, being able to manage that, visualize it, you know, the analytics associated with it is critical. And you gotta have systems that can grow with the amount of data that you ingest alone. Because if you're really looking for a threat, at the end of the day, it all starts and begins with the activity of identities, users or machine identities from an endpoint perspective. It all starts and finishes there.
1: Scalability is, is really key. I, you know, in my experience, I work with some of the largest financial uh, organizations in the world. And um, when I, in these institutions with such a vast amount of, of data and it's just a huge uh, footprint, when vendors come in and they talk to us and they say, yeah, we can scale, we can scale, yep, well, we're fine in your environment. And the reality is it's not even close. I mean, right. scalability can, you know seems to be one of the biggest issues when implementing these security products. Would you would you agree with that?
2: I absolutely agree with it. I, I Matter of fact, I 1,000% agree with it. Mm-hmm. I, I'll walk into meetings, and, and God knows I don't have your experience, George. I mean, you, know, you have had an amazing career, which is what makes Task Force 7 such a great show because you're a practitioner that's doing this. Thank you. Thank uh, you. But But I walk into these meetings where there will be a group of us vendors, right? And, you know, Devo's there from the data analytics perspective, and, and, and by the way, and maybe in conjunction with other analytics products that are more specialized than we are, where we may be the central logging tool. We, and, you know, I like to refer to us from time to time as the intelligent data lake. Uh, and then you create some alerts on top of us, and then we pop those alerts into other tools that are, have more specialized, maybe maybe completely focused on insider threat or completely focused on on other disciplines within cybersecurity. And the question always comes up to, you know, how many events can you guys deal with? How many data sources can you ingest from? And I've just seen vendors absolutely lie about what they can do to try and get business from someone and I'll never do it. Because uh, there's, there's always a theoretical limit to what you can, to, what, to what can be done. And whenever we're pushing those limits, I always have to ask the question, Are you sure that capturing this amount of data is really allowing you to to achieve your objectives with the problems you're trying to achieve? Because it's not just scalability of the platforms and the technologies. It also needs to be scalability and agility in the actual cyber program that the customer is employed. And, and, And just throwing a bunch of tools and throwing more data at it never is going to solve the problem if the data and the tools are focused on the things that don't matter as much to your environment as stuff that would be material to your business. That doesn't exclude the fact that you should capture information from, from, from sources and areas in your network that aren't material because, you know, something might get breached somewhere where, where, where it's an innocuous part of your network. It's not something that's important. But then through lateral movement over a period of months, all of a sudden the attacker is at the administrative identity of the big database that has all the big information that they're trying to steal and can put you out of business or at least hurt you for a while. So I'm not saying don't get that data, but that data doesn't matter until it approaches the thing that they're going for, and you're probably not going to find it until then anyway.
1: So let's talk about what I think is like the next generation of fusion in in the cybersecurity world, and we're already seeing the convergence of big data and cybersecurity and what those models look like. But I think the next step is really the convergence of fraud, AML, and cybersecurity analytics, because a lot of this data is is relative to all of domain, all of the domains, not just one of the domains, but all of the domains. So, how do you see this playing out over the next few years?
2: So, so you know, George, uh, a year ago, I would have vehemently disagreed with you. <laughs> I would have said these disciplines don't belong together; they're different things. Uh, you know. AML is one discipline, cybersecurity is a different one. But in the day of the of the internet and the, and the web, I would have been wrong and you would have been right. Uh, since taking this assignment a year ago, where, where I'm at now at Devo, I have a number of customers where they see it all the same. Um, you know, one of our customers is a major uh, athletics apparel manufacturer. And, you know, they sell sneakers and athletic apparel online and crazy thing is 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 stuff goes on sale it goes on the website next thing you know there's a bunch of bots on the dark web trying to buy up all the inventory uh before it goes to legitimate buyers next thing you know that same stuff uh is now being sold for you know three percent five percent ten percent more than than what the list price was because supply and demand kicks in the price goes up <clears throat> That's not good for that manufacturer because it impacts their reputation. It's not that they didn't get the money, they sold the shoes they sold the shirts but because because of the way that it's going in, in the market and they're certainly not benefiting from it right they're not getting the the increased value from this stuff uh it's hurting them it hurts their reputation and 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 of course, when they don't have le- inventory uh it opens the door for for legitimate customers to then go to their competitors' websites to buy the next set of jogging shoes or training shoes or what have you. And so in their case, AML, cybersecurity, and, and, and as they would call it, cybercrime uh, or cyber fraud, are all combined into one function. Again, as, as we had discussed in the last segment about insider threat potentially being this very focused area within the SOC, for them, this is a very, again, focused area within their SOC. Not everybody in the SOC, is 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 concerned with this with this with this specific domain of a problem but there are a set of people in that environment at this given customer it's all they do
1: so why do you think companies are very reluctant to create these fusion center capabilities that incorporate all these disciplines into this sort of big data model I mean is it just internal politics with the companies Mm -hmm. that is preventing them from you know converging these functions
2: I don't think so. I I think politics is a huge component of it because, uh, and I still don't understand it. I mean, first you always have the standard detente that happens between IT and IT security, right? Uh, As much of the data that's that's needed to go after the fight is the same data. You know, the data that comes from the domain server with the end users in the environment is the same data that's deployed against looking for insider threat, right? So, when you look at this whole problem of AML and fraud and cyber fraud, uh, much of the data is the same. But a lot of it, George, in my opinion, is, it's, 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 believe it or not, is less politics and more ignorance. Um, is this concept of, this is my data, uh, and my data is really only applied against this thing. And just like I was ignorant a year ago, right? A year ago, walking in a Devo, if you if you if asked me this exact same question, I went, oh, they don't belong together. And only after I came here, and again, using the concept of fusion center, seeing that what can happen when you fuse all that data together, all of a sudden, the aha moment happened for me when I went, oh, my God, look at how much more they can do with the same type of data just by combining it and using it against, applying it against different problems within the enterprise. So I, w- I think today, ignorance is a larger issue than, uh, than politics.
1: All right, Julian, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, the GM of the Cyber Business Unit at Devo, Julian Waits. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Account takeover is the fastest-growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free
3: at spycloud.com. and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at SOC Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snort detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from SOC Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three-quarters of the Threat Detection Marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.socprime.com with promo code RADIO2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com. Promo code RADIO2019.
0: You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task
1: Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the GM of the Cyber Business Unit at Devo. Julian waits. So, Julian, are the cybersecurity solutions we have at our disposal today actually keeping up with the sophistication of the attacks that we're seeing? Are we on par right now, or are we we losing this battle?
2: (laughs) We're losing the battle. (laughs) But it depends on how you look at it, George. Right. So, you know, today you have tons of cybersecurity companies uh, spouting off about how great their AI and ML capabilities are, and they can catch stuff before anybody else does. And maybe some of that's true. But the biggest problem is, is cyber attacks are morphing so quickly. As you know, I formerly was the CEO of an antivirus company in the past, where we had hundreds of threat researchers all day long looking through malware and other types of attacks, like phishing attacks that may, may occur. And, you know, there was never enough people to keep up with how these things were morphing and changing because it might be one type of family of malware, whether it was a crypto type or, 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 you know, change out your file type, whatever type of malware it was, the, the attackers, the bad guys, you know, with with change two or three things about the behavior of that thing. And all of a sudden they became a new threat that we couldn't detect (laughs) anymore. (laughs) And so there's just no way to keep up with it from a tools perspective. While I think machine learning technologies and AI over time will help, uh, even, th- even, th- even those facilities still catch really the simplest of things today. And so, no, th- it's still to me about data and the speed at which I can analyze data.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I want to talk about that now that you, you bring it up. Right. So I want to get your opinion on a few things. It, do you think entrepreneurs are you, you know, when they're building these products, uh, these new security products, do you think they're being honest? about their products, real capability when it comes to artificial intelligence, because I I see this phrase being tossed around a lot.
2: It depends on how you define artificial intelligence. So, you know, there's a difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning. The way I define it for people is machine learning uh, is to AI like calculus is to algebra or to rules, right? I use machine learning to automate the rules that I should have, it, that I would ascertain. If I had enough time and enough brain power, well, I'll create these rules. But if I can train, my, train myself against a set of data, all of a sudden I can intimate what these rules should be. AI is a whole different thing, right? AI is I become smart enough where I've got a whole bunch of rules all combined together, and now I, you know, as a computer, I can drive a car without a human being involved in that process. Anybody who says that we can do that for cybersecurity, that we have AI for cybersecurity, is delusional, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Because AI is, is, you know, it's a fully functioning thing that's making lots of decisions based on, you know, potentially hundreds or thousands of rules built in like a human brain does. Machine learning is training against certain sets of problems, against either static or dynamic data, to ascertain what rules I should have. Just two different things. So, so when people say they have machine learning models built into their product, all of this other stuff, completely legitimate, right? No matter what that model is, it's, it's, it's some model to look for some type of anomalous behavior, that absolutely can be built into technologies, deployed in your environment, and it learns stuff over time to help you ascertain the things that, that, that really hopefully matter and are, you know, normal or abnormal. AI is, a, I'm sh- at, a, at, at some primitive level, again, you know, this is Julian going on alone. Some primitive level, I'm sure you can use AI, but I don't see any self-driving cybersecurity, you know. Uh, threat tools out there. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so so
1: it, I guess in short, AI isn't really making an impact on the security environment today as you see
2: it. Not the way I see it, no. Right.
1: Are smaller companies at a disadvantage when they're trying to look at these uh, at these uh, mature cybersecurity initiatives that they're trying to roll out and these emerging technologies, you know, relative to bigger companies because of budget yes. constraints? You think they are?
2: I think they are because, again only half the problem is technology. The biggest problem is cybersecurity today. The reason there's 0% unemployment in cybersecurity is because we don't have enough freaking people. And so the people that you want, the highly skilled people, first of all, they cost more money. They're harder to get. And and the larger companies uh, are the ones that can get them. I mean, even our federal government, which you have served our country in before, uh, is fighting to get these resources because private industry will pay so much money for someone who is an expert at the threat hunting process, who is an expert at using uh, data analytics and security event management type technologies against a set of problems. And so smaller companies are kind of left in the dust other than the fact that, you know, now I would tell you there are more and more MSSPs focused on, I would call, mid-tier to smaller companies where they do, where some of them, I'm not going to say all, where some of them have some highly skilled uh, technologists and practitioners that are bringing the solution to bear for groups of companies rather than one or two companies. And so I do see light in the market coming through MSSPs, but I still see there being a big dearth, a big divide between the number of people needed to fight the fight and the number of people uh, that you can employ to fight the fight uh, for many years to come.
1: So the last couple of weeks in cybersecurity has brought some huge news. And there's some, been some, I mean, it's just been one big story after another. We had some huge exits over the last few weeks. Uh, I saw Recorded Future was recently bought for, I think it was like $780 million. And then CrowdStrike's IPO just went. Wow. Realistic. I mean, it's just, wow. I mean, it, went out, it, went out, it doubled at one point, it, it, its price. And I think it was worth a whopping like $13 billion, right? I mean, what it was.
2: Cash. I'm a happy man about that, by the way, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right. Well, What do you make of it? I mean, do you, you, all this – Here's what, what I make of, sort of
2: it. Of right now. What's going on? Here's what I make of it. Well, you know, first of all, if we pick on CrowdStrike first, uh, their business has just been booming, right? Um, again, you know, Julian's opinion about why that's occurring is, one, their threat intelligence – the amount of data that they're 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 correlating in their environment to build in proactive you know uh, you know threat detection is increased greatly but the other deal is 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 like i told you i have one customer today where only one only one component of their data ingest is 20 terabytes of crowdstrike data a day from endpoint devices in their environment and it's because in their view, CrowdStrike provides the best clarity of information from their endpoints that they use then for visualization and their own threat detection in their SOC. In, in this in this case, with Devo as one of the tools uh, that provides the centralized uh, analytics platform for them, but it's it's driven by the fact that people need more data, and the the best source of data to me, you know, the threat begins and ends as with an identity's usage, and behavior on a given endpoint, period. Everything else in between kind of doesn't matter. It does, but, you know, you're not going to catch it until you can see who's doing it and where they're doing it from.
1: So with all this being said, do you think the market's oversaturated? I mean, still, I mean, because everyone's talking about, you know, a bubble. And if, if we're in a bubble, if the market, how long is this going to continue to go on? How long could it go on? What are your thoughts about the whole thing? Uh,
2: my, 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 my opinion is it's, it's, bubble's a strong word. It's cycles. <laughs> I mean, remember, before the big rush was when FireEye first became a thing. You know, DeWalt turned FireEye into a jargon. And, and and they had a great product in the market. And then finally, like any business that has ups and downs, it's just like life, FireEye misses his numbers one quarter, and what happened? There was a correction in the market, right? Not just for FireEye, but for every security vendor per se. Um, I think this is where we're at. I think people are anticipating a recession coming uh, soon, and there's still lots of money in the market. You know, when you talk about, like, Recorded Future, for instance, uh, you know, Devo's uh, largest investor uh, is is Insight Partners, based there in, in New York City. It was Insight Partners that acquired Recorded Future for seven hundred and eighty million dollars. And it's because there's there's a lot of money out there from an investment perspective, looking for what are going to be the best bets to to increase my leverage over time, to give me the best return over time. Uh, cybersecurity, this problem. Uh, it's just like you know when Amazon first took off, you know, and they wanted to be you know, the world's largest uh, bookstore, and then it became the world's largest, you know, whatever you want store. Cybersecurity is one of those things that has that same expected value of growth. This problem's never going to go away. The more we want to do business quickly on the internet, the more we need to communicate with each other instantaneously. The more we need to do anything that we do, and we want to do it quickly with somebody who may be on the opposite side of the world, increases the attack surface for cybersecurity and thus increases the value of companies that are coming in this market to solve the problem. That's so my opinion. You,
1: so, so in the foreseeable future right now, at least in what, what we, how far we can see out, which uh, things change so fast in cybersecurity, it's really not that far. But do you think the money is going to continue to, to pour in? The spending is going to continue to go up
2: 34% a year across the board? I think it will. I think, I, think, I think you're going to see two things, George. I think, first of all, there's still too many vendors. There's, there's so many, like, you know, even if you look at the space I'm in, data analytics, uh, while, while, you know, Devo has crossed a couple of those major hurdles, you know, we're, we're you know, greater than $20 million a year in revenue. There's a lot of companies that aren't anywhere near that that have great technologies. And you might see companies the size of Devo acquiring those companies you're certainly going to see the larger guys like you know when you when you when you see where a crowd is reached in the market and others a lot of what they start doing is they become acquisitive and so you're going to see some of the smaller guys with better technologies but maybe not great businesses being acquired uh you're going to see the large system players reacting to because think about it you also now have uh google uh, really, not Google, but an alphabet company uh, coming into the cybersecurity space. Microsoft is trying to get a larger footprint in the cybersecurity space. There are going to be other vendors the size of those guys that don't want to be boxed out of the space. They see value here. They're going to become acquisitive. So, and then again, companies are going to want to do more on the internet. They're going to need more data. This is it, it, the cycle is. Will the value of these companies fluctuate over time depending on what's happening in the greater market? Absolutely. But if you look at cybersecurity over the last seven years, if you have made some major bets and put some money into the market, you wouldn't be down. You'd be way up on average. Certainly more than uh, S&P averages. You would be. <laughs> Julian, I
1: really appreciate you coming on the show. I, really, I know you're really busy. We've been trying to do this for a while. Um, it took a lot of effort to, uh, to get this in. And I hope to have you back often and get you on. We're putting these panels together. And, I would love to do it. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Because we're putting these panels together. And, and I want them to be uh, a regular piece of the show, probably on the third segment of every show, in these expert panels in certain disciplines in cybersecurity. And you know, it'd be great to have you on one of those, too.
2: Anything I can do. Because, again, what you're doing is a great service to our industry. It's a great service to security practitioners, and also to people who are thinking about coming into uh, this space to participate in the fight. This is, I, mean, I love Task Force 7. Thanks for what you're doing and providing to us.
1: Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Before I go, I want to our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.